morning. It's good to, good to be in daylight. I do like daylight savings. I like the, you know, that end of, end of the day, sitting in the warmth. It's all good. It's all good. So, we've just been away camping. It's been ages, ages. Couldn't believe how long it had been. And um, it was good, except now I have very sore calf muscles because we did the, the walk at Warren Bungles, the bread knife. And I'd forgotten. I've done it many times before, but I had forgotten how many stairs there are. It's just really steep. So at times like that, you really need one of your sons just to... All good. Hazards of batteries... We, um, we kind of like listening to things when we're driving. We used to listen to audio books um, when the kids were younger. We've read all sorts of books together in the car. It's a great way to pass the time looking out the window, just, um, you know, being family, listening to the one thing. And, um, you know, now kind of we kind of trying out different podcasts and things like that. So we discovered all sorts of historic things. Um, but, you know, we were also listening to one about Christian martyrs, past and recent. Um, you know, just, it's just interesting to find out about different people. And, you know, did you know that over the past 100 years, there has been more Christian martyrs than in the past 19 centuries combined before. Like, isn't that ridiculous? That's, that just blew my mind away. That there is people in the past 100 years who have, you know, just they have laid down their lives for their faith. You know, more people in the past 100 years than in the 19 centuries before combined. And often, these are not pretty. <laughs> you know, it's violent and it's horrible. They're people that have risked everything to be faithful to the Jesus who gave everything for them. And we heard of one, one story of a young lady. Her name was Vibia Perpetua. Very prophetic name in the end. She was born in 182 AD. She lived in Carthage, which is now Tunis, Tunisia, you know, Africa area. And she was a daughter in a wealthy family. 22 years old, recently married, nursing an infant. And she found Jesus. Of we don't know how, it's have no idea. But when she found him, she knew that she couldn't be anything else. She knew that this now was her identity. This was now what mattered to her more than anything else. And over various discussions with her father, who obviously still hold most sway in her world, there was conflict. But she stuck steadfast being baptised 
and then imprisoned by an emperor who had forgiven, for, forbidden conversion to Christianity. And we know all this because she kept a diary. When she was in prison, she, she wrote what happened. She wrote about her conditions. She wrote about the people she was with. She wrote about what it felt like to be a mother that could only nurse when she was allowed. And the conditions that she was under, the the situation of her trial, and, and then the constant pleas from her father to just to, to forget it all, to say, actually, I made a mistake. She and her friend, but also slave, Felicity, were both, were, you know, both new mums in prison. Felicity actually gave birth while there. And this diary that she kept was then passed on to a fellow Christian just before um, her sentence was um, given out. And so she, he continued her story of then what happened. It's one of the rare surviving documents that we have from this ancient world written by a woman. And so it's quite... It's quite personal, it's quite descriptive, but it's incredibly, you know, heartfelt and intense. And so the sentence was that they would be um, face the wild beasts in the arena for the amusement of others. And if that's not enough in itself... What I find quite remarkable, in such a time of fear, like can you imagine being in an arena, being jeered and, and abused for what you believe, for what you care about? And then facing the torment of some wound up beasts... To stand and show that in the middle of that, you still have dignity, you still have worth. (laughs) And there's a description in this diary that was continued for her. That Perpetua, after getting knocked down, she stood up. She bound up her dishevelled hair. She fixed her hair in the middle there. (laughs) For it was not becoming for a martyr to suffer with dishevelled hair, lest she should appear to be mourning in her glory. To stand there and go, I am not going to be seen to be mourning in, in this space find that remarkable and as I listen to stories like that I just go could I do that like could you do that could I actually stand firm when I need to can I stand firm when I need to 
You know, I look at my own reactions. I come home and I'm hot and tired from camping and they're not great. I can't even do the stuff of everyday life particularly well. Imagine what I would like be like being persecuted. And it causes me to look at myself and to think and just to scan through. And I kind of think, well, were these people special? Like, did, were they super spiritual? Did they have something more in them that made them be able to do that? No, they didn't actually. They were ordinary people. They were committed to Jesus. They were just like the 12 ordinary people who dropped everything to follow Jesus. And they were disciples. That's what I want. That's what I want to be. I want to be a disciple. When the crunch comes, I want to be someone who will be unwavering in what I believe, but more importantly, who I follow. If I call myself a Christian, if I call myself a disciple, then I actually want to live like one. And all these things together, you know, kind of there's been different things I've been thinking and reading throughout the year. At the beginning of the year, I read a book called Resilient, um, which is a John Eldridge book. You know, he's written heaps of stuff in the past. And, and this one, just that, that sense of, you know, sticking at it. Like not letting the stuff of life knock us around. I've also been reading this book, which are encouraging everyone to, to read this t- month, called Disciple. <laughs> A book by Phil Pringle that just unpacks the Bible on being a disciple. And all these thoughts and things, you know, churn around my head and and I think our, our world, we need disciples more than ever. Like our world is floundering around. Like we're kind of, we're grasping at things. We're grasping at what, what do we follow? We're grasping at trying to know what, what's firm, what's, what's right, what's constant. What can I trust? We can't work out what is right or wrong. It's becoming very subjective. And so this month, we're going to unmuddy some waters and we're going to remind ourselves what it looks like to be a disciple. So actually we can step out into our world. You know, we can, we, we talked about just being this, um, now I've forgotten the term that we're using for life build. Life flowing out. You know, we, we want life to flow out. But we need to actually be able to be a disciple in order for that to happen. In order to offer the hope that we believe we have, we have to live it. And so over October, we're gonna, we are going to discover what, what is it that a disciple believes. 
And we're actually going to question, can I afford to avoid the risks? Because there are risks. But can I afford to avoid them? And practically, how do I follow Jesus? You know, he's not physical. How do I follow? And then how do I stay resilient when it's tough? These are all the things that we can, we can just unpack so that, that this church, that we can stand and we can know that we will have what it takes because we're a disciple of Jesus. So, to start with, what is a disciple? What, what's the profile of a disciple? Like, when our world admires someone, we kind of, we get a profile of them. When I was a kid, I remember all the boys at school, you know, they used to collect all those footy cards. Do you remember those things? I don't know if they still exist. They do? Mm. Do you have any? No. <laughs> Um, you know, they contained all that critical information, what team they followed and, you know, their age, their height and all sorts of other random things, I'm sure. Um, you know, it was information about their heroes. It, it was what, who they wanted to aspire to be. There's newspapers, there's magazines, we have social media now. That's absolutely soaked with the ins and outs of celebrity lives and, and people that we think we want to be like that we want to look like, that we want to act like, that we want a job like, we want a house like. <laughs> you know, the world will, will devote themselves to, to finding out what someone wore, what they ate for breakfast. It's, it's quite absurd when you think about it, that this is what our world spends its time focusing on. And us too. You know, I may have slightly different interests to other people. Jeff bought me the 50 years anniversary magazine for the Opera House. <laughs> but what did I read in there? Oh, Utsun, what did his house look like? You know, <laughs> because there's someone that I admire and I think, well, what did his house look like? What, how did he create a space that was important to him? And so I, I do that too. I look at the things of the people that I admire and I think, well, what can I take from that? Why do we do that? Like, why do we get obsessed with these things? Well, I think because we're actually designed to follow. We like to imagine ourselves as leaders all the time, <laughs> but we're actually designed to follow. We're designed to look up to someone. We're designed to be like them, to want to walk in step with them. But the problem is that we're usually looking up to the wrong person. And just imagine what would it look like if we actually were looking up the one person who is actually worth following, Jesus. You see, our searching and our longing, you know, for something more, is because we're thirsty for life. 
We're thirsty for something that satisfies. And we know that, like, we know that our own efforts are substandard. Like, I know that there's more I could do. I know that I fall short in, in so many parts of my world. Most of our world and most of my time, probably looking in the wrong places. Isaiah 55 throws out this invitation. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? Listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Like, isn't that a condition of our world? That we're so thirsty. But the food that we're chasing after is it's not the finest. And it's not going to satisfy. It doesn't give us strength. It says in verse 3, Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I will make an everlasting covenant with you. I will give you all the unfailing love I promised to David. What a promise. And then it goes on in verse 6, Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways. That's us. And banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that they, he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God for he will forgive generously. But this is the thing. God says, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. And my ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God is so different to us. His thoughts are just so far removed from where we're at most of the time. In terms that they are just, they're so much more pure. They're so much full of love and forgiveness. He understands this universe we're constantly trying to unpack. You know, we're trying to reach the next universe. He made it. Like his thoughts and his mind and his everything is so far beyond what we are and what we could ever be. And God offers a way for us to connect to that in Jesus. Like Jesus is what, as I described, the unfailing love that was promised to David. Jesus is the one on the throne who is eternal that was promised to David. And, and through him, we have this opportunity to have access 
for the thoughts and the mind of God. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and it's through him that our thirst is satisfied, finally. But in coming to him, we also realize how far different we are. And we see that that, that who I am in comparison to who Jesus is are just polar opposites most of the time. And that's why we follow. Because finally there is someone here who is worth looking up to. Finally, there's someone that I can follow, that I know that I'm, that I'm going to get food that is good for me. I know that I'm going to get things that are lasting. I know that I'm going to get things that will nourish me and grow me and, and just gradually kind of flick things around in my head and in my heart. And as I watch and as I learn and as I copy, I put into action what Jesus does. As I follow him, then my thoughts and my ways are also transformed to be more like God's. And that's a profile of a disciple. It's just someone who follows Jesus. And so they don't have to be super spiritual. They don't have to be anything special. And it doesn't matter like what state you find yourself in the world. It doesn't matter if you're highly educated or you just struggle with stuff. It doesn't matter the background you come from. Because it just it's just following. And we follow, we just, we just, we watch, we learn, we put into action. Matthew 11, verse 28. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry a heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that the same call? You know, come to me if you're thirsty. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I'm humble and gentle and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke fits perfectly and the burden I give you is light. Jesus offers us a way to walk with us. So not only are we following him, but actually we're following him by being yoked to him. Because in that space, as we walk with him and are yoked to him, then he actually shows us what life is like for him. He gives us this illustration of a yoke, you know, this wooden plank that straddles the necks of oxen. Because as we walk by his side, we actually take on his work. Because that's how we learn. He's not carrying our yoke. 
Like, we don't come to Jesus and he says, oh, let me take that yoke off for you and I'll carry it for you. He actually asks us to put ours down and to put on his. In the book that, you know, this disciple book, there's, you know, Phil Pringle does a really good unpacking of these verses. That understanding of being yoked to Jesus. And he reminds us that we're actually, we are all yoked to something. And we can't pretend that we're walking around free and easy. We are all yoked to something. It may be responsibilities to family. It may be study. It may be work. It could be hobbies. Like there's something that all of us are yoked to that is the thing that's guiding us and determining us and causing us to live the way we do. And a lot of those things matter. They are absolutely matter. But should they be the factors that determine our direction? Should they be the thing that causes to, us to go in this direction or that direction? Like, should it be family that determines which way I go? Should it? Should it be jobs? Should it be, you know, a hobby that I have? They do, you know, they're good things. <laughs> I like my family. I do care about them. But Jesus promises this in Matthew 6.33. He says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Like, seek first his kingdom, follow him, and everything else will fall into its correct place. It doesn't mean it doesn't happen. It doesn't mean it can't be good. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. But it has its rightful place. And it's no longer the thing determining your direction. But it's the thing that's being fulfilled in the direction that you have in Jesus. In being yoked to Jesus, what matters to him then matters to us. And so we learn to be like him as we work together. We go in his direction. We see what he sees. And that's what I see in the lives of Christians, the Christian martyrs. They, they actually take up the heart of Jesus. They kind of, they kind of go, well, these other things, they're good. But actually, Jesus is best. Actually, this heart that Jesus has, I am taking that onto me as well. And I'm going to let that determine where I go. And so Jesus and his passion for saving people becomes our passion. And Jesus and his passion for building the church becomes our passion. And showing compassion where other people don't. Like all those things that we see in the life of Jesus, they become the things that, that we care about too. That we carry, that, that aren't just superficial and add-ons to our life, but actually become our heartbeat. And disciples, they choose to walk with Jesus and carry the things he carries. 
So we're not just finding life and joy and freedom and all those things we talk about. It's not actually, like, that's not the goal, that finding life and freedom. It might be the, it might be kind of the, um, the what's that word? <laughs> Forgotten. You know, the trigger point that we actually meet Jesus that we're looking for something beyond ourselves and something that we can't get ourselves. But then when we actually meet him, we discover that, that this, this man, that there's no one else like him. That, that this is the person that I actually want to be like. That just finding joy and, and freedom is, even in itself, kind of superficial that actually I just want to know Jesus that that I just I just want to serve him and so we commit to a life of working with Jesus and then in that place we find rest in the work, we find rest. Because rest isn't sleeping all day. Rest is living our lives as he purposed. It's like, like being in the slipstream. You know, like a bird or a cyclist. It's, it's, it's still working. <laughs> it's still flapping its wings. But when it's in that zone, in that formation, you know, goes to the back and gets some rest. <laughs> it's, it's still going forward. It's still going somewhere. And Jesus, we're still working. We're still going. But we're in a sweet spot. And to be honest, like, I just, there is so much more. And I just cannot fit in a message. Because you do not want to be here all day. But I just want to remind us that we sell ourselves short when we think that all we need to do is get saved. When we think that, I just, you know, when we find Jesus, that he will make my life right and everything will be great. Like That's actually like knocking on a door. And it opens, and then we just stay in the entrance hall. Like, what's the point of that? You know, you, you make an effort to get there. You knock on the door. It opens out for you, and you just stand there, and you go, this is cool. Wow, nice entrance hall. What about the rest of the house? <laughs> like, Technically, yes, we're in. You know, we, we know Jesus. He's saved us. He's, he's welcomed us into his home. So, yes, we're in. But, but what, about, what about the kitchen? <laughs> like, imagine the feast, the food, the, like, what we can devour. Like, this is like our kitchen. Like, it's full, full of goodness and, and just nourishment that we can, we can just feast on and devour. 
But if we don't walk into the kitchen, if we don't open it, like nothing's going to happen to us. We're not going to, it's not going to float out and absorb itself into our bodies. What about, you know, the family room? How do we get to meet the rest of the family if we don't walk into a church? How do we meet these people that will walk beside us, that will cry with us, that will laugh with us if we just stay in that entrance hall? And, you know, and then there's the music room and the library and, and, and the bedroom. That's where we get rest. <laughs> like, but out the back door, there's the garden. <laughs> like, you miss all of this. If you just stay in that entrance hall, Jesus wants us to follow him, to start exploring all these things, to see his heart that he's poured into this world and, and his family. Because when you walk into someone's home, you get a picture of them. You see the pictures on the wall and what they love. You see the places they've traveled to, the little quirky things that, that go to make up who they are. You see the book that they're reading and what they're interested in. Like there's so many bits and pieces that you discover about a person when you walk into their home, when you follow them and into that space. Jesus calls us to be disciples, to follow him where he goes, what's important to him, what he loves, what, what is his passion. He doesn't actually want us just to get saved. I mean, that's good. But he's got so much more. And so what is a, what is the profile of a disciple? Like I see it as someone who is committed to following they make a choice to step across that threshold and then go in the, just go further. They follow him in time with him. They step, they yoke, they, you know, they put his yoke on them so they step in time with him. They get led in the same direction as he is going. And they feel the weight of what he cares for. Like a yoke actually... You get the weight too. Maybe that's not pleasant all the time. But that's what Jesus asks us. But we're shouldering it with him, not alone. And we get to share the victories. We get to be in the celebration and enjoy the, the people that we come across and the people that are loved. Like we see all that too. And we can celebrate with him because it's something we've carried as well. We're not just observing and bystanders. And, and that is who I want to be. That, that's, that's just what, that's what I want to be. I, I want to be a disciple. I want to be someone who actually seriously follows Jesus. 
there was something in here that I just thought described it well. It says, we must travel through the cross where Jesus is our saviour and then beyond to where he is Lord. When he is our Lord, we need a lot less saving. When we remain at the cross, our praise, prayers and preaching is all about how he set me free, how he provides for me, forgave me, healed me, laid down his life for me. And it's amazing. Like, that's just incredible. And that's something worth celebrating. But we can't stay there. We actually need to change from us being the centre of the relationship to where he is. Where Jesus is the centre of our relationship. Our worship becomes how we will set others free. How we will heal others. And about laying down our life for him. And that's the challenge that I have for us over October. Like a challenge for all of us to look at ourselves and be challenged by these martyrs of the past. It's, it's really important that we see history. It's actually really important that we understand what other people have done and what they've laid down their life for. Because it challenges us to kind of shakes us up and and stops us from complaining about the fact I'm hot and tired and I have to unpack and do a lot of washing. It starts me thinking about what what's actually important to Jesus. And then it gets me to like like I have to respond. I can't stay in that space. If I if I want to go beyond the entrance hall, I you know, I have to do something. It's an action. It's it's not passive. It's not just words. Will I just stay there and be happy being saved? Or will I follow Jesus and discover everything there is? good bits and the bad bits will I actually take up his yoke and learn from him it's our challenge